Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, we're going to be looking at Luke 13, uh, verses 1 through 5. would encourage you to take your Bibles at home and follow along just as you might if you were sitting here in church. Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. Um, Next week, I'm planning on returning to the Gospel of Mark and to continue working uh, through that with you, but there was a few weeks here where I just had some things on my own mind and heart uh, that I thought were very relevant uh, for our current situation, and so uh, this passage is is one of those, Um, but after this, again, we're planning on returning to to Mark uh, come next week, but Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. Is our, is our passage this morning. Before we read God's Word together, let's pray. Lord God, as we come now to Your Word, it is our prayer that You would, in fact, speak. Lord, we pray that You would build Your church by Your Word. We pray, as we just sang, that You would cause our faith to rise and our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Lord God, we know that your word is powerful. And we pray, O oh God, we pray that we would know its power now. For Jesus' sake, amen. Luke 13, verses 1 through 5, hear the holy inspired In an errant word of God read for you now. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the, others in, all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Thus far, the reading of God's own word. Dear congregation, what should we as Christians make of our present situation? What should should we as Christians make of of the tragedy that is the coronavirus, a tragedy which has caused much physical suffering, much emotional suffering, much financial suffering, even, even spiritual suffering? What should we make of our current situation? How how does the Bible instruct us to think about and respond to to this tragedy in particular, but really really to any tragedy? Well, one passage that, that guides us on this matter is the one we just read together from Luke chapter 13. In this passage, Jesus addresses two tragedies from his own day. And you'll notice that he addresses these two tragedies with really one and the same response. And from this one and the same response, given to these two tragedies, he leaves us with three points of application for our present situation. So one, two, 
three. That's as creative, I think, as I'm going to get today. But we're going to begin, we're going to begin on the number two. I want us to just look first at, this, at these two tragedies that are referenced in our text. The first tragedy is spoken about in verse one. We read there, now there were, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, this is, this is a reference to an incident uh, that took place in Jesus' day, which, which appears to have been well-known throughout Israel. Uh, I get the impression that this, this was the topic of conversation at the local coffee shop the past weeks. This was, this was what was on the headline of the Jerusalem Gazette. Okay, now we don't know, we don't know exactly what happened here, but, but apparently some Galileans, and remember Galilee is up in northern Israel, Jesus himself and his disciples were, were Galileans. Uh, some Galileans were put to death while they were either worshiping or, or more likely while they were on their way to worship at the temple. It seems that they were, they were probably put to death as they were bringing their offerings, their sacrifices to the temple for worship. Now, this is the only place we read about such an incident, but it fits. It fits with the character of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate had a reputation for being very cruel it also fits with other stories from the time period, which are told by, by Josephus. Josephus was a first century Jewish historian, and in his writings, it's clear that violence against the Jewish people was, was very common uh, in this time period. So it fits with what we know about Pilate. It fits with what we know about the time period. Anyway, Jesus, he's asked about this tragedy whereby some Galileans were put to death by Pilate and his soldiers. Now, we don't know why exactly these people brought this incident up here. Uh, Jesus had just been speaking about judgment in the previous chapter, and in all likelihood, they brought this up as an example of God's judgment. They said, yeah, Jesus, we, we, we see what you're talking about. Here's an example of it. Right? These, these Galileans who were put to death, they were, they were sinful, and, and in the end, they got what they deserved from God, even if, even if God used uh, the wicked Pontius Pilate to do it. Of course, Jesus, Jesus refutes that, and we'll come to that in a moment, but Jesus goes on to cite a second tragedy in verse 4. Jesus talks about those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Again, this is, the, this is the only place we read about this tragedy, but, but Jesus here appears to be referring to another tragic incident that had recently happened in Jerusalem. Siloam was a, was a pool or a spring uh, in the southeast part of Jerusalem. Next to this pool, there was a, there was a tower, and um, this tower very well might have served to distribute the water throughout Jerusalem. Anyway, apparently... Not apparently, Jesus makes it clear, this tower collapsed, this, this tower fell, and when it fell, it killed 18 people. Perhaps this was a construction accident, perhaps the tower fell due to an earthquake or a storm, we don't know, but it was, it was a tragedy nonetheless. So our text makes reference 
to two tragedies. And Jesus is going to provide commentary on these two tragedies. But before we move on, let's just, let's just notice that these two tragedies, these two tragedies are, are different. On the one hand, we have a tragedy that is brought about by human hands. Okay? It was Pilate who was responsible for the death of those Galilean worshipers. It's a tragedy brought about by human hands. Uh, in that regard, it's a tragedy like uh, 9-11 or Columbine or even, or even the Holocaust. On the other hand, we have a tragedy which is, which is brought about more by, by natural causes. The Tower of Siloam fell. No one, no one pushed it over. No one cut it down. It fell. It was, it was a terrible accident, but, but it was an accident. It was, it was something that was brought about by, by natural causes, causes outside of man's control. In that regard, then, it's like a, it's like a tragedy, um, like a plane crash is a tragedy, or like a tsunami is a tragedy, or even like, like a virus is a tragedy. These are things outside outside of man's control. So we have, we have two tragedies which are different in cause and origin, yet you'll, you'll notice that Jesus addresses each one of these tragedies in the same way. That is, Jesus gives basically one and the same response to cover both tragedies. And that's good for us to see, especially right now. Because from, from my perspective, there are some today uh, who think the greatest tragedy is the virus itself, and there are others today who think the greatest tragedy is a political one, and that our leaders are causing more suffering than the virus itself. Well, hear me clearly, uh, whatever side you're on, it doesn't matter. Because Jesus gives the same response to tragedy caused by human hands as he does to tragedy caused by natural causes. Okay, so nobody here is off the hook. Right? We agree there's a tragedy. What Jesus says here applies. So two tragedies, one response. Let's look now at the one response. If you look at verses 2 and 3, and then again at verses 4 and 5, you will see that Jesus' one response is basically this. Do you think that those who suffered in these tragedies were worse sinners than others? The answer is no. They weren't worse sinners than others. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. That's, that's the basic gist of the response that Jesus gives to each of these two tragedies, right? Do you think that those who suffered in these tragedies were worse sinners than others? No, they weren't. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, in this response, what I want us to see is this. In this response, Jesus draws a line. He makes a connection uh, from tragedy to sin. But note well, it is not the same line, it is not the same connection that the people around him were drawing. The people around Jesus were drawing a line from tragedy to sin in the lives of those who suffered the tragedy. And this was a common way of thinking 
in Jesus' day. The people of Jesus' day firmly believed that in tragedy and suffering, a person was getting what he or she deserved from God. We see this this same way of thinking uh, in the book of Job. You might remember, if you've read the book of Job, Job's friends were certain that Job was suffering because of some past sin, some past transgression. This is what Job's friend Eliphaz said in Job 4.7, Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? And then Job's friend Bildad, Bildad the Shuhite, shortest man in the Bible. Don't think too long about that. Bildad the Shuhite, Job 8.20, says this, Surely God does not reject a blameless man or strengthen the hand of evildoers. Okay, in each of those passages, Job's friends are making it clear what they think and what many think. And it's that bad things don't happen to good people. No, bad things happen to bad people, and since something bad happened to Job, then Job must be some level of bad. Certainly not as righteous as Job thinks he is. This was still the way of thinking in Jesus' day. You might remember what we read in John 9. John 9, 1 and 2, we're told that as Jesus went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And upon seeing this man, Jesus' disciples asked him this, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, that was was the common pattern of thinking in Jesus' day. Bad things don't happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And so if this man's blind, whose fault is it? Who's being punished, him or his parents? And these people speaking with Jesus in Luke 13, they're they're thinking the same thing. That's why Jesus answers them the way he does. They're they're thinking that the Galileans, whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifice, were worse sinners than other Galileans. That's That's why they suffered as they did. They're thinking that those who died when the Tower of Siloam fell were more guilty than others living in Jerusalem. That's why the tower fell on them. Jesus says, no, no, that's that's not right. You can't draw a line from tragedy to the sin of others. Yet Jesus does draw a line from tragedy to sin. He does, Just, just not the same line that these people around him were drawing that we just talked about. The people around Jesus drew a line from tragedy to the sin of those who suffered the tragedy. Jesus draws a line from tragedy to the sin of humanity in general, and to the sin of each of his listeners in particular. These people asked about these tragedies. Jesus points the finger back at them, doesn't he? He points the finger back at them, unless you repent, he says. And essentially, what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, what happened to those Galileans? And what happened to those people in Jerusalem when the tower of of Siloam fell? Happened to them because of sin, yes. But not because their sin was worse than your sin. Or because they deserved it and you didn't. No, what happened to them is is really what every last one of you deserves. 
from a holy and righteous God. The fact is, the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned, and therefore, we all deserve to die, and we all will die. Some will die horrible deaths at the hands of powerful people like Pilate. Others will die in tragic accidents like when, like when towers fall. Still others will, desi- will, die of, will die of disease. And still others will die peacefully at home, full of years and surrounded by loved ones. But all will die. Right? The death rate among those infected with COVID-19 is a matter of debate. The death rate among those infected by sin is not. It's 100%. All die. And so in this response, Jesus is saying, listen, listen, the lesson of tragedies is not that those who suffered and or died in these tragedies were great sinners deserving of judgment. That's not the lesson. They might have been or they might not have been. That's not the point. The point is this. Life is fragile. You're not nearly as secure as you think you are. And therefore, it's of supreme importance that even now you be reconciled to God through repentance and faith, lest you too perish, and that forever and ever. It's really a somber warning that Jesus issues here. He says, he says hey, rather than trying to explain tragedy, Rather than asking God why this happened, or rather than assuming that this has happened because of of the sin of others, let this tragedy teach you about your own mortality, and let it cause you to ponder your eternal destiny, and let it cause you to look to God for your great need of forgiveness. So we read about two tragedies, which Jesus addresses with one response, And in light of Jesus' one response here, we can draw at least three applications for us in the midst of our present tragedy. The first is this. In the midst of our present tragedy, be careful to draw the right line. Be careful to draw the right line. I cannot tell you how many times uh, I have heard believers in the past weeks draw a line from our current tragedy and situation to the United States of America. And they said, they said, you know what, our country, our country is getting what it deserves for its sexual immorality and for its greed and idolatry and, and for its acceptance of abortion. And, and this is God's judgment on America's wickedness. I've heard that a number of times. People are drawing a line, aren't they? From from our present tragedy to our nation's sin. I've also heard the line drawn from from our present tragedy to to the church. And and people say, you know, this is just what the church needs. This is just what the people of God need. They've been lukewarm and this will arouse them from their slumber and set them on fire again for God. Now, here's the deal. In this, in our present situation, our country might be getting what it deserves. It might be. And the church, the church might be getting just what it needs. In fact, we could make a good argument that it is. 
What I do know, however, is this. According to Jesus' words here in Luke 13, our job, our job is not to draw the line from, from our present tragedy to others. It's to draw the line from this present tragedy to ourselves. It's kind of like when we hear a sermon. And we think, you know what, that, that person sitting over there really needed to hear, hear that sermon. I really hope that person is listening. I really hope that person is, is taking this to heart. We do the same thing with tragedies, especially national, broad, scope tragedies like this one, right? We think, God, I hope our country wakes up after this. I hope all those money-loving businessmen realize that there's more to life than just, than just making a buck. I hope my church family doesn't take worship for granted any longer. We draw the line to others. We think that this tragedy is just what others need. And Jesus says, no, let me worry about what others need. Draw the line to yourself. Consider what God might be teaching you in all of this. Ligon Duncan hits the nail on the head. He says, beware of practicing a religion that talks about everybody else's business but your own. Beware of practicing a religion that's ready to explain what God is doing to a nation or what God is saying to another group of people, but that never asks the question, Lord, what are you saying to my heart? Okay, beloved, we, we need to draw the right line. We need, to, we need to look from the present tragedy into our own hearts and consider what work the Lord is doing in our own lives at this time. Rather than, rather than looking at our nation, rather than looking at the church, thinking, boy, I hope you all learn your lesson in all of this, we need to say, Lord, what lesson is there in this for me? Be careful to draw the right line. The second application in the midst of our present tragedy, in the midst of any tragedy, be careful to hear the clear warning be careful to hear the clear warning. Last summer, we were driving home, my family and I were driving home from Idaho. Uh, we had taken a trip out west with family. We wanted to see some stuff, and so we cut right through the heart of Wyoming. And we were on a little two-lane highway uh, in nowhere, Wyoming. And as this highway went along, it came up to a small town. Just outside of this town was a, a sign with lights on it that uh, indicated, warned I should say, that the speed limit was about to be reduced to 30 miles an hour. Now, I'm in, I'm in Wyoming, so I'm pretty sure the speed limit was 70 uh, and to 30. I mean, there's nowhere the speed limit jumps as much as it does in Wyoming, but, but it was reducing from 70 to 30. Apparently, I did not hear the clear warning because by the time the speed limit changed, I was going fast enough to get a speeding ticket from one of Wyoming's finest. And you know, I can, I can grumble, and I can complain, and I can say, officer, I was slowing down, and I was. But the fact is, I was given a clear warning, and I neglected it, and it's no one's fault but my own. We need to see tragedy 
in a similar light. Tragedy is a clear warning given by God to sinners. John Calvin said, all the calamities that happen in the world are testimonies of God's wrath, okay? In tragedy, we see something, we see something of God's just and holy judgment against sin. We see something, we see something of, of, of the judgment that will be experienced in hell for all eternity by those who remain unrepentant and, and unbelieving. And, you know, I'm afraid that, that many people in our country and, and many of us, we're, we're, we're so consumed right now and so bogged down right now by current events and by headlines and by fear that we're not hearing, we're not hearing the clear warning right now. Our minds are filled, aren't they? Filled with questions like, what about hospitals? Will they be able to keep up? And now the question's turning, I think, maybe to what about hospitals? Will they be able to pay their bills? I mean, that's, these questions are coming fast and going from every direction. What about my job? Will my job be there when this is over? What about my small business? Will we survive? What about our rights as Americans? Can they, can they really do this to us? What if I get sick? What if my grandma gets sick? Why aren't people taking this as seriously as I am? Why are people taking this so much more seriously than I am? We're, we're asking lots of questions, and that's okay, because we have these questions, and we ask them because in some cases they need to be asked. But here's the thing. Some of us are so bogged down by these, by these questions and by these concerns that we are, we are not hearing the clear warning which God is issuing at this time. And make no mistake, we, we need this warning. We need it. When, when life is good and when life is easy and when life is prosperous, we tend to become worldly. Our lives tend to become worldly. Our, our thoughts tend to become worldly. Our desires tend to become worldly. Our, our, our hearts are drawn after other things. And, and God becomes second or even third in our life. And it happens. When we grow fat and happy, we have a tendency to forget God. It was true about Israel. It's true about us as well. Tragedy. Tragedy is meant to sound the alarm. Tragedy is meant to get our attention. Tragedy is meant to wake us up spiritually. It's meant to rattle our cages, and it's meant to expose our idols, and it's meant to remind us that our lives are fragile, and apart from God, we will be lost forever. So I plead, I plead with all who are listening today, do not be so consumed by current events that you fail to hear the warning. Tragedies remind us, ultimately, of what sinners deserve from God and of what sinners can expect from God if they persist in unrepentance. That leads to a third application. Be careful. Be careful to take the gracious opportunity. With a warning comes, comes opportunity, doesn't it? 
With a warning comes opportunity. There's mercy in a warning because it brings opportunity. When I saw that lit up sign in Wyoming warning me that the speed limit was about to drop to 30, I had the opportunity to slow down before it did. With a warning comes opportunity. And make no mistake, in tragedy, God is giving us an opportunity as well. You know, Jesus actually makes this clear in verses 6 through 9. didn't read these together. He goes on to tell a parable. Uh, the parable goes like this. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. In that parable, Jesus is underscoring the fact that in tragedy, God is giving us one more opportunity to bear the fruit of repentance. He could have cut us down just as, he, just as he has cut others down, but he did not. He's given us one more opportunity to repent and be saved. What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to repent? The word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia. That's a Greek word that literally means to change one's mind. Meta, change, noia, mind. Change one's mind. In spiritual terms, it, it refers to changing one's mind about sin and God. By nature, we are people who, who turn to sin and away from God. Okay, if this, is, if this is God and this is sin, by nature, we continually turn to sin. We continually turn to sin. We continually turn away from God. The one who repents turns around. The one who repents turns away from sin and turns to God. Theologians have often said that the act of repentance consists of three parts. The first part is, is confession. When we repent, we confess our sins to God. We acknowledge to God that we have disobeyed Him. The second part is contrition. And this is to feel sadness and sorrow and remorse for sin, not just because we got caught, but because we've realized that sin itself is destructive and harmful and an offense to our good, loving, and holy God. The third part is change. When we repent, we, we, we change our ways. We, we turn away from sin, we turn to God, but we leave our old sinful ways behind and we follow hard after God through faith in Christ. So all of those things are involved in true and genuine repentance. Confession, contrition, change. Right now, Jesus makes it clear here, doesn't he, that repentance is necessary. If we do not repent, we will perish. And he doesn't just mean we'll perish physically. We're all, going to, we're all going to perish physically. He means perish spiritually. If we don't repent, we'll be condemned forever. Repentance is necessary. Now, repentance, it needs to be, it needs to be understood in two ways. 
There is the once-for-all act of repentance that happens when we, when we first come to faith in Christ and when we, when we decisively confess our sins and give our lives to Jesus. And no doubt God, God uses tragedies like the one we're in the midst of now to do this. He uses tragedies to, to draw people to himself, to bring sinners to this place of repentance. And I've, I've seen it even recently, right? People who were hardened in sin, people who wanted little or nothing to do with God, coming face to face with their own mortality and their deep need for God's mercy. Okay, this is causing people, it is the tragedy, it's causing people to, to turn to God. Gentleman's been showing up here and praying every night for the last few weeks. And I came in one night and, hello, and I introduced myself. And this is what's happening to this man. Tragedy is causing him to turn to God. John Piper says, disasters are a gracious summons from God to repent and be saved while there is still time. I think that's God's message for the world in this coronavirus outbreak. He is calling the world to repentance while there's still time. And if you're an unbeliever today, hear me clearly, this is is what you must do. You must repent. You must turn from sin and turn to Christ. You You must be converted. You must say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. My unbelieving friend, God this day and in this situation is giving you the opportunity to be reconciled to him through faith in Jesus. He is. Do not miss the opportunity. Time will run out eventually. The speed limit will will be down to 30 and you won't be there yet and you'll get caught. Don't miss the opportunity. It'll be no one's fault but your own. Of course, we need, to, we need to think of repentance in another way as well. There's the once for all repentance that takes place when we're, when we're born again and give our lives to Christ, but there's, there's also the continual ongoing repentance that happens in the lives of God's people. As any one of us who's walked with Christ for any length of time knows, in the Christian life, you, you really don't get over Repentance. No, it's, it's as Luther said. Luther was right. He said, he said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ commanded us to repent, he meant that the whole of the Christian life was to be one of repentance. Okay, repentance is, is an ongoing thing in the lives of God's people. Sin is strong. Sin continues to pull at our hearts, and therefore daily, hourly, minute by minute if need be, we must, we must repent. We must, we must make that decision to turn away from sin and to turn to God. And so in the midst of tragedy, even God's people, even those who have been born again, even those who have been converted, even those who have trusted in Christ for salvation, they must hear God calling them also to repent. I love how John Piper puts it. He says, the coronavirus is God's thunderclap call for all of us to repent and realign our lives with the infinite worth of Christ. Yes, indeed. We get out of alignment with Christ, at least, at least I do. And yet in tragedy, our Savior says to us, listen, child, Life is fragile. 
You're not nearly as secure as you think you are. These things in this world that you love, these things in this world that you spend so much time pursuing, these things you revolve your life around, they can't save you. It's me that you want. It's me that you need. It's me that forgives your sins. It's me that heals your diseases. It's me that directs your step. It's me that fills your cup. It's me that satisfies the deepest longings of your soul. It's me that is the strength of your heart and your portion forever. That's what Christ says to us. And boy, does my sinful heart need that reminder from time to time. And I couldn't help but find myself these last couple weeks just, just, you know, I don't love what's going on. It's not that much fun. But But I couldn't help but find myself praising God for the gracious opportunity he has afforded to me again in this tragedy to realign my life with the infinite worth of Jesus Christ. Before we go home today, well, I guess we're already at home, most of us. Before we turn our attention to things at home, it's good to remember that this opportunity to repent, this opportunity which is afforded to us in tragedy, it comes only through the precious blood of Jesus. The Belgic Confession reminds us that on the cross, On the cross, God made known his justice toward his son, who was charged with our sin, in order that he might might pour out his goodness and mercy on us, who are guilty and worthy of damnation. And the, the irony should not be lost on us, that the greatest tragedy ever to take place in the history of the world was suffered by the only one who committed no sin. And it took place on the cross that Good Friday afternoon when God the Father turned his face away from God the Son as God the Son was made sin for us. Yet make no mistake, beloved, that tragedy... That tragedy that took place long ago on Good Friday, it makes our tragedies a whole lot more bearable today, doesn't it? For that tragedy ensures us that, our, that in Christ our tragedies are temporary and will be experienced only in this life. And that tragedy at the cross ensures us that in Christ our tragedies are experienced with God and not apart from God. And that tragedy at the cross ensures us that in Christ, our tragedies are purposeful and redemptive and ultimately for the praise of God's great name. May God glorify His great name in the midst of our present situation. May God grow His church May God help us hear his thunderclap call to realign our lives with the infinite worth of Christ. Let's pray. Our great and awesome God, we cannot help but give you praise this day for the tragedy 
of the cross. Because we know that in that tragedy, you have judged our sin. You have wrought salvation. You've done wondrous things. Lord God, in the midst of our present tragedy, help us through faith in Christ to draw the right line, to hear the clear warning, to take the gracious opportunity to repent, to believe, to be saved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear friends, we do have a wonderful, merciful Savior. We are going to sing now about our wonderful, merciful Savior.
Receive now the parting blessing. Dear friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. Amen.